Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. Jason, this is episode 492. I went back and did the math. We have done 307 episodes since Trump won the election. Yes, we have. We're, we're mostly a Trump show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that would if you could you have to put a qualifier on that <laughs> yeah i suppose we do well with any luck this is the final show recorded under a trump administration but uh we still got mm, 25 hours to go so we'll see yeah we're getting there we're getting there soon <laughs> soon <laughs> fingers crossed let's, ho- let's hopefully we can have the next show title called armageddon averted but, yes uh, that would be nice uh, yes, and we will be taking next episode off, so you can come repatriate your sorry ass back to the United States for just a little while, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, it's time enough to pack up and get everything together, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, I- I'm impressed that you've decided to take it off, because normally you would be scrambling to find a guest host, because no vacations for Jason. Yeah, Jason says, fuck it. Okay. <laughs> Jason needs a break. <laughs> yeah, I I would do the show, but, you know, it's it's too rough to move back across countries and do a show the same next day. So a week off. Yeah, well, after 307 episodes, I would like a, I would like a breather to like kind of just <laughs> like <sighs> and get back to what we were good at. If we were ever good at anything, that is, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, since uh, we don't have an ad next week and you're going to be traveling and uh, I, I have to say that I never really heard of Blue Monday until yesterday. And I have to say, it's a thing. Uh, I'm aware of the song by New Order. Blue Monday is apparently the most depressing day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. Hmm. So uh, January 18th, because it's like right in the middle between the last holidays, the next holidays. The the days are darker. It's colder. It's crappier. Trump's still here. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, I, I've been talking to a bunch of my friends and we've all been like just super tired, lethargic and just like can't move. And then I'm like, oh, those are all the signs of depression. And uh, yeah, so hopefully everybody will be on the upswing now. So when we come back, everybody will be chipper and cheery. I was <laughs> like, uh, how's this Monday any different from any other Monday since March? Yeah, well, <laughs> we have things to look forward to, I guess. I guess. And and it's funny. One of the things we have to look forward to is the transfer of the nuclear football. And I was reading an article this morning in CNN, and they kept talking about Biden's biscuit. And I just thought that was fun to say, so I wanted to bring it up. Good old Biden's biscuit. I like that. And uh, speaking of things to look forward to, uh, my mom actually got her first vaccination shot yesterday. Uh, bastard. I know. It's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, here's the deal, though. <laughs> they opened it up to 65 and older in Orange County. Uh, mm-hmm. and they've got the Disneyland mass vaccination site, right? And you have to register and all that sort of stuff. And I hear that they just opened it up in LA as well to 65 and older. So either we're burning through every single vaccine we've got left, or there is some sort of stockpile somewhere, but we'll not get into that. Uh, but here's the thing. You're 65 and older, right? My mom is, is a little bit older than 65. She's in her early 70s. Uh, the way that you register is either via an app or a website. Okay. Uh, my mom does not know how to download apps. I venture a lot of 65 year older and older do not know how to do that. Uh, okay, sure. You can register on the website. My mom is totally capable of that. Given the amount of shit she orders from Amazon, she has learned how to register to a website. Uh, once you register the website, 
demand is so high. <laughs> demand is so high that basically oh. it's all a bit janky. You uh, have to keep revisiting the website. You have to keep reloading the website. Uh, we did it for my mom two nights in a row, basically incessantly, to finally be able to get her one of the very few spots. There is no way that most people of that age range are capable of doing this. So I'm assuming everybody that is uh, showing up to this thing has has kids that are taking care of it for them. Uh, you got to make it a bit easier for these older people. That's all I'm saying. It's a government website. What do you think the odds of that are? I know. I know. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> not not going to be there. But she got oh. it, and I'm very pleased about that. So she is, uh, she is and it was the Moderna one, so she is, uh, you know, got a fairly high level of protection already before the second shot. So good. Cool. Yay. Yeah, no, now I, I want to get mine. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I, I mean, just come on, guys, hurry it up, hurry it up. <laughs> and I saw this, uh, and I just, I now I put this in here, and I didn't even really have to read it because I've read so many of these <laughs> damn articles. It's called "The Bitcoin Dream Is Dead" by James Serwitschke. Okay, and uh, he says Bitcoin's recent twenty five percent plunge illustrates why it will never be a true currency. And here's what I love about this: Bitcoin has become our new eggs, Brian. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is great. Bitcoin is terrible. Bitcoin is great. Bitcoin is terrible. So uh, I'm, do what I'm you're going to do. fully on the side of Bitcoin is terrible. Uh, it will never be a true currency because it will never be backed by any government or entity whatsoever, uh, which means it will always be prone to chicanery and gaming the markets and all of that sort of stuff, which we've seen going on and the you know, quick rise and plunge was, I mean, you can see it on social media. Uh, when the rise was happening, everybody was doing the whole, I don't know about this stuff, but I've got mine. And if you use my ref- referral link here, you'll yeah. get 0.001% of 1% of a Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, it got pushed up really high. And then, of course, it plunged a little bit when people pulled their money out because they made some. Now, I agree with all of that. I think it's bullshit. Having said that, I also threw another $200 in and I'm up like 15%. Hypocrite. <laughs> so uh, I'm not crazy, but shit, man. I haven't been to Vegas since my kid was born. I'd always earmark a couple hundred of bucks for gambling cash. So why not? Still, that money probably should have gone into Apple or Tesla and I'd see a longer, <laughs> better return. <laughs> yeah. But hey, this is fun, I guess. It, you know, but- why not? Why not? It's, yeah. it's what I figured. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm up. So I should probably pull out. Yeah, I mean, it, it It was never designed as an investment vehicle. That's the big thing. And yeah. also, the fact that so many Bitcoin have been lost to time. Yes, yes. There's the you story know? about the guy that was basically says he has like over $400 million in Bitcoin on a USB uh, stick that he threw in the trash. And he's willing to share $55 million or something like that of that with his town if, if the town bands together and goes through the dump to find his <laughs> USB stick. <laughs> And, of course, there's this story, which is a bit of follow-up. We talked about Mt. Gox when that whole thing happened. They went bankrupt in 2014. It was the world's largest Bitcoin exchange at the time, holding 850,000 Bitcoins from thousands of users. And, and again, this is why it's never going to be a true currency. Uh, They went out of business, and nobody got their Bitcoin. None of them. Yep, no I one. remember. Yep. Yep. Uh, creditors may finally be able to get a portion of those uh, Bitcoins back. One of Mt. Gox's largest creditors, CoinLab, said in an agreement uh, with itself, Mt. Gox's bankruptcy trustee and another group may allow creditors to recover as much as 90% of the remaining Bitcoins, according to Bloomberg. Now, you How think, many is uh, that? <laughs> I want them all back. However, on the plus side here, uh, Bitcoin was only trading at $489 when they went bankrupt, and it's currently trading at around three hundred or 37000 
uh, dollars, so about 75 yeah. times higher. So I would take my 90% and be happy about it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. You you don't want to get bit buck. You don't want to get bit bupkis, but uh, you want to get something. Yep. And I remember when they were talking about how the whole bankruptcy thing, and she's like, "Oh man, even if he just kind of, you know, paid off what was owed on it and kept the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. he'd be like so far up. Yeah, so far up. But Instead, he's in jail. Good. In the news. Guess who's back? Parler's back. Oh, God. <laughs> Not really. Uh, the articles that are being floated around make it sound as if it's back. They're like, Parler's website is back, but the service is still unav- unavailable. Parler's website is not back. It's a fucking one-pager saying, we're going to try to get this back. <laughs> it's, it's a coming soon page. It's a coming soon page. That's it. It is not back online in limited form. It has a message from the CEO saying, hello, world. Is this thing on? being cute we will resolve any challenges before us and plan to welcome all of you back soon and that's it does it have one of the old like 1990s gifts of the construction worker guy pickaxing his way through oh the I, website? I wish it did it would be so amazing now that would have been clever but no yeah no so uh, in an interview over the weekend he told fox news he was confident the platform would be back up by the end of the month um which is doubtful because just a couple days ago he told Reuters it could be never because it is complicated. Um, and per CNN, Parler's domain is currently registered with Epic, with a K, a DNS provider known for offering a safe haven to websites like 8chan and the Daily Stormer in the past. Mm-hmm. A tweet from Dave Temkin, who is Netflix vice president of Network and Systems, so he knows a thing or two about this, suggests Russia's DDoS guard is hosting the website. And I would like to make a point of fact here. He doesn't just suggest it. He actually shows his work. Okay. They are hosting his website. So good on, good on that. I, 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 for one, hope Parler gets back up and running and Russia gets all of the uh, right-wing crazies information. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, I can't – did we talk about this on, on last week's episode about the Pirate Bay in Parler? I don't I, recall. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't listen to the episodes. Okay. I mean, well, it was one of those things where we were speaking, but I always forget <laughs> afterwards. And I could have just had this conversation with myself that we were Possible. going to have this conversation on the show because I am probably insane. Uh, Peter Sund from the Pirate Bay, mm-hmm. uh, he he posted an article saying, hey, Parler, you guys are fucking idiots because we were a bunch of kids and nobody to this date has been able to take down the Pirate Bay. We still <laughs> It's still online. And we were a bunch of dumbass kids with no funding and we figured it out. Why can't you? Right. <laughs> I got I to find that article and put it in the show notes. Uh, it was just funny. It's just like, okay, this is how people have come to rely on cloud services and other people's hosting. It's like, mm-hmm. you know. No, no. If you're smart enough, you can hit your own boxes, put them in a cave somewhere, and be really <laughs> tricky with your DNS and proxying, and uh, stay online no matter what. I mean, granted, well, you can't get on the app stores, but there you, you go. can still keep and your website up. Therein lies the problem, because even if they do manage to get uh, a Russian cloud service uh, up and running and plug everything into it and, and get that app out, back out there, there's nowhere for that app to go. So Yeah, there is. The browser. Load. Yeah, they can yeah. do a web-based, yeah. Because, I mean, what is it? It's a front end to a fucking database. It is not like 3D <laughs> rendered combat in a game-like situation. It's a bunch of text yeah. in videos, which you which is basically what the web is for and what a browser is for. They don't need an app. True. True that. 
Yeah, unless you're going to be uploading your driver's license photos, <laughs> the app to do that. <laughs> what kind you. of idiot would do that? <laughs> what kind of moron would upload their driver's license? <laughs> oh, Jiminy. Uh, so here in California, Uber and Lyft drivers are fighting back. Yay. Hmm. They're going after uh, California. They're going to sue to overturn Prop 22. Okay. They're basically saying that it is illegal. And okay, unconstitutional. So hold on a second. We we passed a proposition, and then Uber and Lyft spent a lot of money to overturn that proposition, and now we're trying to overturn the overturning. Yes, pretty much. Okay. So it's, it's in a in a nutshell, it's it's a little more complicated, but yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, so they're saying that yeah, this is the the uh, some of the language in Prop Twenty Two made it almost you know unreversible. Right. You know, you have to have this crazy amount of people signing on to get it flipped over. And it, I mean, it was genius how they did it. But that's where they're, the drivers are saying in that genius is where the unconstitutionality lies. Uh -huh. So they're going to be fighting against that and hopefully get it overturned. So good luck to them. But as we know, Uber and Lyft have bigger, bigger wallets than you do. I because know, but they you know keep what? all the money that you just earned them. <laughs> <laughs> what we need is just a whole bunch of these tiny little lawsuits against Uber and Lyft all over the country. And eventually we'll just bankrupt them. Uh, well, they don't make any money, so it should be pretty quick. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> well, one we'll would see. think. We've been saying one that for think. a couple of years now. <laughs> Coming up on eight years, we've been saying that. Yeah. <laughs> People still keep investing. It's like Bitcoin, I yep, guess. It is. Yeah. In some good space news, Virgin Orbit just uh, launched their first orbital rocket. They got they got something into space. They, they've thing. earned the orbit. Yeah, they have earned the orbit title. Yes, uh, and this is pretty fun because they're doing uh, uh, horizontal launches off of a seven forty seven, which is you know always right. fun. Looks yeah. like a big missile, <laughs> so, which it actually kind of is, just a big missile. But uh, yep, it worked. So. I, this is good news for them. This is good news for them. I don't know where uh, Virgin Galactic's at. I know they've been trying to get uh, their ship up, but that's just for tourism. Yeah. This is actually, you know, this has payloads this and payloads. satellites. Yeah, yes, they cool. actually delivered a payload for NASA on this one. So congratulations to them. More yeah. shit in space. Just More what we More shit need. in space. Exactly. <laughs> and I threw this one in because I thought it was kind of funny and somewhat topical. And because we've talked a lot about what I would consider to be flawed science before. <laughs> And there's a bit of this in here. So this is from uh, IFL Science, and it's according to a study. This is how to tell if someone's lying to you via text. Uh, TLDR came from the GOP. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. That's oh. <laughs> came from Ted Cruz. You know it's a lie. Anyways, uh, so there is a, a popular newspaper that published an article with the title, How to Tell if Women are Lying to You in a Text. And it came kind of from this study. The piece links to a preprint study by researchers at Cornell University that, uh, and claims that women use longer sentences and noncommittal words when they want to deceive people via messaging apps. So they got into it a little bit here. And uh, it explains the team used a massive database of existing communiques sent over an Android messaging system by a large number of men and women, including students and non-students. Parlor? It, yeah, that would be... Well, that's all lies then. <laughs> C.1 I made. Uh, it points out that pre-existing studies investigating lying by text have had small sample sizes, and this piece of research aims to correct that. All right. Very next paragraph. The researchers started with 1,703 conversations, and after removing all those that didn't contain any lies, were left with 351. If that is considered a large sample size, I would love to see the studies that had a small sample size. My girlfriend texted me she was at the store. Lying bitch. There's my study. <laughs> That's 
that's pathetic. I'm sorry, that's just pathetic. <laughs> right? Like, am I crazy? Because at first I just, like, put this story in for the story, but then I was like, they specifically went out of their way to say that their research aims to correct small sample sizes, but they have an incredibly small sample size. Yeah. I mean, just just any, you know, get a month's worth of text in any relationship, you're going to come up with more than 351 <laughs> lies. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah, it goes on to say that uh, women's sentences are 13% longer when they're lying, whereas men have marginally longer 2% sentences. So we basically cover up our bullshit with some shit. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what they always say. The, the more you explain, the greater mm -hmm. chance that you're lying. Yes. So big sample size there. Media Candy. So last week you called Media Candy your week in escapism, and I and I discovered a bit of escapism of my own this this week. I, I realized I have a basement and I can go sit down there alone and listen to music, which I did, and it was wonderful. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Yes, and we did get a new Common Sense with Dan Carlin, as uh, called "Garbage in, Garbage Out." I, I was very shocked to see that pop up on my phone and downloaded it and listened it to it basically immediately. And I've got to say, uh, as some other people on our Discord channel have pointed out as well, it's good to see the last four years have frazzled him as much as the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome back, Dan. Oh, wait, he's not back. This was just a one-off. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to you again in five, like five more years when you have another episode out. <laughs> and this just, you know, my heart grew three times that day when I saw this. Spotify's big bet on podcasts is failing, City says. Mm -hmm. Spotify's multi-million dollar bet on podcasting may not be working out, City analysts wrote in a note on Friday to clients. I could have told them that long before, but uh, they <laughs> didn't did, listen to the show. Actually, yes. Yes. <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, they put in all this money and now the investors are saying, where's our return? Well, there is no return yet because they have not seen any material positive inflection in app downloads or premium subscriptions, which was the entire point of all that money. So Rogan did not do for Spotify what Howard Stern did for Sirius. Correct mundo. All righty. Well, yes. And, and and that's that's only part of it, though. You know, the Rogan play was to get more people to bring more people into the Spotify ecosphere. Mm -hmm. The other side of the podcasting thing is, oh, they're generating content now that, you know, they don't really have to pay royalties on. So, yes. they, you know, it's a one and done. So that's why they always want to, you know, that's why they're big push into podcasting. Hey, look, a bunch of stuff people can listen to instead of listening to music that we don't have to pay anybody for. How awesome is that? Because we're fucking evil. Uh, so there you have it. City says, nope, not worth it. Sell. Sell your stock. Great. <laughs> well, I have some more podcasting news, and I personally just love this headline. Apple, the company that basically invented podcasts, have reportedly decided to give this whole podcast thing a try. <laughs> well, as we know, that that headline is bullshit because they didn't invent podcasts, but uh, they popularized them. They certainly did, and they have been yeah. the number one place to go for almost everybody to get their podcast, but uh, apparently they are testing the waters and talking internally about coming around to a podcast subscription service, which would make sense because they've gone into subscriptions pretty hardcore because they've got news and fitness and cloud storage and TV subscriptions all packaged together or uh, available separately. It's like build your own. And they're kind of going, well, well why don't we throw podcasts in as well to this? See previous um, article. Yes. Yeah, see previous article. But <laughs> That's why. There you go. <laughs> also, there is worry that they will uh, be 
dealing with some uh, antitrust headaches if they do this uh, as well, which doesn't make any sense to me because basically everybody goes to Apple for their podcast now anyways. No, not everybody. About 60% at this okay. point. They're, they're getting whittled away on. And the thing is, the thing that killed Spotify on podcasting is, is their app is so terrible. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main reasons that they're not getting picked up for podcasting. Their app is god-awful. The Apple podcasting app, I would argue, just as bad. So <laughs> if they really want to spend money to get people to listen to podcasts on their iPhones – and uh, their iDevices and their Macs and all that stuff, put a little bit more effort into the app itself and make it actually great. And uh, then you don't have to pay for content because everybody's going to use your app anyway. So There you go. But that involves cents. effort. Yeah, well, it involves spending, spending engineering time and money, the same thing they're going to have to do if they're going to generate content, you know? Right. Six of one, half dozen of the other. And they know how to write apps. They don't know how to make content that well. I mean, look at Apple TV+. Plus. For example, (laughs) speaking of pluses, our final non-streaming plus is about to fall. CBS All Access is about to be rebranded as Paramount Plus. All right. That will launch on March 4th, and they are hoping to take away attention from all the other pluses uh, with some originals, including uh, The Offer, a 10-episode scripted miniseries about the making of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, which sounds awful, a new iteration of MTV's <laughs> Behind the Music, which could be okay, could be but good, it's yeah. MTV, and I don't I trust the people that are producing things over there anymore, and a revival of The Game, which I'm not even sure what that is. I was going to say, what because <laughs> The Game for me is the Michael Douglas movie, the, the fantastic Michael Douglas movie with Sean Penn. Yeah. I love that movie. That is one of the greatest movies of all time. And it's uh, David Fincher, too, so you can't yeah. go wrong there. there but uh, I don't know yeah. what that is, so it is what it is. Uh, plus, there will be more than 30,000 additional episodes and movies from Viacom, CBS's various content houses, including BET, Nickelodeon, MTV, and Comedy Central. Hopefully, they will not pull a Discovery Plus and only have some yeah. of the episodes. Uh-huh. It would be nice if they did all of them. So we shall see what happens with that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to do Paramount Plus because everybody knows Paramount and CBS is like, eh, whatever, (laughs) you know. There's that. And I got a little personal Disney news this week. Uh, What will a million distraught Disneyland superfans do now that the annual pass is dead? So during this hiatus, the Disney California parks have been closed uh, and they've decided to sunset annual passes. uh, They're all done as of Thursday. And when the park eventually reopens, uh, the annual passes will be replaced by some other loyalty program yet to be determined, according to the park's president, <laughs> Ken Potrick, which will be bupkis, I'm sure. So, yeah, they, they are estimated over one million annual pass holders. And uh, all of a sudden, they're not going to be able to go to the park all the time anymore. It was a really interesting article and just sad because this was another part of my youth. I, I think I had an annual pass every year from like 13 until I went off to college. Yeah, I mean, if you live that close, it, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. No brainer. And I found one more TV show for the kid. And I like to throw these in when I find ones that are decent ones. This is called Wild Kratz. It's all about animals. It starts with some actual like science and real learning. Then it goes to an animated thing, which is actually fairly educational for animated. And then it ends up with the real animals again at the end. It's non-offensive. And that's what I look for in a kid's program. Okay. <laughs> low bar. Very yep. low bar. Low bar, but uh, amazingly hard for people to scale. <laughs> yeah. And I got a new TV show that I ran across. It's called The Hustler with Craig Ferguson, of all people. He's back on TV. I love Craig Ferguson. I used to love The Late Late Show. And this is kind of a uh, 
it's just a it's a fun game show where they have five people together. One person is like it's kind of like the mole, but for mm-hmm. uh, it not as uh, adventure oriented. It's a bunch. Of, it's five people sitting around answering trivia questions and trying to figure out who's lying. It's fun. Cool. There's been there's three episodes so far. I actually really enjoy it. We uh, we kind of burned through those first three pretty quick, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, it'll stick around because Craig is funny. I like him. He is a funny guy. Warmer, sunnier days are calling, and it's time to fuel up with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor Fresh's never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day that you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Step into a world of endless culinary delight with over 35 enticing meal options and over 60 tantalizing add-ons refreshed weekly. This may supercharge your wellness journey with dietitian approved dishes built on ingredients you can count on. Treat your taste buds every day from sunrise to sunset with effortless nutritious choices spanning from energizing breakfasts to delectable desserts. Indulge in the luxury of restaurant-caliber meals right at home. Savor the sophistication of filet mignon, the freshness of shrimp, and the bold flavors of blackened salmon. Simplify your life with Factor Meals, ready in just two minutes. Say goodbye to grocery runs, tedious prep, and cleanup. I love these things. I can't even tell you what I had this week because I had so many of them. But that's the great thing about Factor. Every week you have new options, and they're delicious. And you can tailor your eating experience with six specialized menu options. Whether you're looking to cut calories, boost protein, go meat-free, or maintain a well-rounded diet, they make it easy to support your lifestyle goals. Tune in to taste, convenience, and wellness with every bite. Head to factormeals.com slash grumpy50 and use code grumpy50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code grumpy50 at factormeals.com slash grumpy50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network, also known as a VPN. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access, or PIA, can help. PIA encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network admin. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content around the world. PIA comes with an easy-to-use app and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PCMag. If you sign up with PIA right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for GOG listeners. By using our link, gog.show slash VPN, you can get complete digital privacy for less than $2 a month and four extra months for free, which means only $1.98 a month and up to 83% off. That's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take PIA's 30-day risk-free challenge. You can try it out for 30 days and see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So go to GOG.show slash VPN and try out the best VPN on the planet completely risk-free. That's GOG.show slash VPN. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. 
It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ups and doodads. Ryan, it's a brave new world. Okay. I, I, I had to use brave. I tried it. It's working. Uh, Vivaldi was giving me so many problems now. Yeah, I, I saw you posting about all those in, in our Discord, and I have none of them. So Yeah, whenever I create a new window, there's no keyboard focus in the actual location bar, which is what is kind of, I don't know, expected. After the 10th time where I, you know, get command new and start typing in a URL and it's not there, and I'm like, what? Why isn't this working? Oh, no focus. No focus. And then the uh, the video problem keeps hitting me over and over again right. on all my devices. So See, and I this just, is why Parler can't be on a web-based app. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I just said, screw it. Let's uh, give this a shot. Because one thing I also forgot is, I don't know how I forgot this, on iOS now, you can set a default browser. <laughs> Dope. Yeah. And the Brave browser works great. Everything syncs. And uh, it's faster. It uses almost no CPU on on the desktop. I mean, right now, we're doing, we're doing this over Squadcast. I've got three tabs open. And Brave's clocking in at about 30%. <laughs> and uh, Vivaldi, when we would do these, would clock in at about 75 to 80 on mine. So right. there's definitely a lot less uh, CPU churn. That that problem is gone uh, with uh, the crypto mining in the background that they, you know, lied about and shit like that. <laughs> That's done. <laughs> yeah, there's that. I turned off everything and then just uh, created my little sync circle, and it, it seems to work fine. It's Everything works as expected, which is all I care about anymore. And I know people are still saying that the new Edge browser is the best one out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, okay, so who wants my data? Does Brave get my data? Or does Microsoft get my data? Or does Google <laughs> get my data? Who the fuck gets my data? I don't care. This is working right now. I'm going to give Edge a shot just to, you know, see how it works across all the different devices. But uh, for now, Brave wins. It is a brave right. new world. Sorry. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Stick with what stick with what works, man. If if Vivaldi still works for you, don't switch. But if you start to run into crazy issues like I was having, then it's uh, this is a good alternative. Everything right. works and it's fast. Cool. So, and uh, we covered this for a long time. Fitbit has finally joined Google officially. The EU oh. gave their blessing and blah 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 blah. And Fitbit CEOs had a huge sigh of relief. Yes, <laughs> we're getting our money and we don't have to pivot. Yes, uh, Fitbit CEOs everywhere cried out in orgasmic joy. <laughs> and of course, because why not? Here comes the naysayers. <laughs> this is over at Business Insider. Privacy and antitrust experts described Google's $2.1 billion Fitbit deal as sinister. Ooh. It's crazy. This has been allowed to happen, they say. Oh, and Dr. Christina Kafara, an expert in antitrust law, told the insider, Fitbit lets you track vital signs and other intimate aspects of your health. That is invaluable data. No, it has a value on it. That's why they paid $2.1 billion exactly. for it. Let me explain to you what invaluable means. <laughs> and then she goes on to say it's incredibly sinister. And then 
Ray Walsh, a digital privacy expert at ProPrivacy, agreed Google was in a strong position to use data for many purposes besides advertising. <laughs> he says, although Google has promised to keep Fitbit users' data in a silo that is completely separate from the data it uses for advertising, it seems plausible that Google will still attempt to exploit the health and location data acquired from the devices. Of course they're going to attempt to exploit the health and location data acquired from the devices because they paid $2.1 billion for it <laughs> this weekend duh yeah <laughs> i mean none of this is surprising it's actually a good move for google yeah yeah, yeah. fitbit gets to stick around even though you know this closed right as i got rid of my fitbit <laughs> and that was that was just a coincidence i i didn't even care that google was taking it who cares my nest still works after they bought them whatever there you and go. Uh, this one, I just this has been making the rounds. This is over at the SF Gate. I tested the dumbest PPE of all time: the rich guy COVID helmet. Now, <laughs> uh, it's called the Microclimate Air, and you do look like a total douche when you when you wear it. The only acceptable wear of this would be uh, cosplaying. That's it. <laughs> I, I, I actually on a plane, I think that would be. I think it would be fine on a plane. I wonder but... if they let you take this on a plane, though. I don't know. It's pretty I don't intense. Know. Like if I walked in, if I walked into LAX wearing this thing, I'm wondering what would happen. Somebody yeah. try it. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. I don't know if this guy tried it. Uh, I I skimmed the article, and I have to say the reason I put this in here is because it's damn funny writing. Yeah, this guy this guy's pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. It's well worth the read. And in big purchase week, since uh, yesterday was the big anniversary of the North Northridge earthquake out here. And we're in red flag warnings and everybody's losing power left, right, and center. Uh, my roommate and I went halvesies on the Duromax XP5500E gas-powered portable generator. 5,500-watt electric start camping and RV ready, 50 state approved. The podcast must <laughs> flow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I do have my APC UP UPS backups out here, but still. Uh, the reason we actually got this is uh, we have, you know, an, an exorbitant amount of value in our refrigerator with uh, Enbril because she has to take that for uh, her RA. Right. And if the refrigerator goes out, that's like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of drugs that could go bad. So right. it's like, okay, let's spend a couple hundred bucks on a generator. That's <laughs> That seems very smart to do. So. Cool. Very good purchase. Yeah, very heavy, too. I can't get it out of the box by myself. It weighs 120 <laughs> pounds, and I already pulled my shoulder and back out the other day just getting it into the backyard. So hurry <laughs> up, hurry home, Brian, and get out of quarantine so you can come help me move this damn thing. <laughs> okay, I'm on it. I've been doing a lot of my weightlifting so, since right. I bought my stuff, so I can, I can help you with that. So I've been doing a lot of like sitting around at night and just kind of scrolling through the phone, doom scrolling and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you, you, you do that, and it's been quiet in our house at night, which is nice. Uh, but uh, Instagram, Instagram reels are driving <laughs> me fucking nuts. They ignore any and all sound settings. I don't, I, I normally keep my phone on complete mute, total shutdown. I, nothing is, should make a noise. And mm -hmm. they put that Instagram, Instagram reels button right where the home button is on my phone. So when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm going to hit the home button and switch to another app, It'll switch to Instagram Reels, and I will hear cat noises or shitty music or whatever people are doing on Reels because I don't care. Loud. Very loud. It yep. sucks. And I went to Discord, our Discord channel, and say, because maybe it's just me. And I said, is anybody else experiencing this? Is, does this happen to you? And, of course, I got some fixes, but the fixes are only temporary. 
anytime you reload the app, any setting that you did to kind of mute it is gone. And the the loud noise comes back. So, you know, fuck them. That's bullshit. Yeah. Well, it's it's Instagram. It's also Facebook. As we know, Facebook settings never stick. (laughs) <laughs> like, how did that get through Apple's uh, quality control stuff? Because uh, the, fa- the fact that the app ignores your phone's Uber settings, your God settings, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. That's true. That's true. I was going to say a- Apple's not in, you know, they're not in the quality assurance business. But if it overrides the actual hardware setting. Exactly. That's what that's it does. Bad. Yeah. That's fucked up. That is fucked up. Uh, yeah. I, Instagram has become utterly useless. I get three pictures from friends after like seven hours and then it's just the recommended stuff. And I know that I've got more photos from friends than that because yep. everybody tells me, hey, can you go like my photo? And I get there and I'm like, it's not here. They're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then I go to their page and it's there. But yep. when I go to my stream, it's not. So it's becoming That's exactly more what Facebook is. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so I'm like, OK, why bother anymore? Might as well go post my pictures on Parlor. Nobody's going to see them, <laughs> or everybody does when it gets put up in a it gets hacked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Instagram, I got an ad for this course from uh, Skillshare this morning because I'm a Skillshare subscriber, and they send me, you know, hey, check out this course emails every day. Even though I've turned that off too. Speaking of somebody who can't remember a fucking setting, uh, <laughs> this is capture Instagram worthy portraits. Level up your portraits with this fun step by step class from YouTube star and photographer Jessica, Jessica Kobisi. Okay. Now, I would like to say that. A class to make an Instagram-worthy portrait? A picture of a turd is an Instagram-worthy portrait. You're not really calling the bar high here. You got to light that turd, Jason. I know. I mean, come on. It's like, you know, Guggenheim-worthy portrait? Sure. Getty-worthy portrait? Sure. Instagram-worthy portrait? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. We're we're really uh, devolving here for our our artistic skills is all I got to say. Right. And I did find something that I thought would make a good gift for people. Um, this is, you know, it's, it, this is one of the rare occasions of I actually saw a friend's actual post on Facebook and it was actually something that I thought was interesting. And I follow the link to it and it's uh, from a site called My Photo Bags. Not the great greatest name, but basically <laughs> it's uh, you can get jigsaw puzzles and, and who isn't doing jigsaw puzzles for the past year? Everybody is. Uh, but it's kind of a cool gift anyways. Jigsaw puzzles from various different magazines, newspapers, etc. from any date. So you could do basically the idea here being I get your birth date and that's a gift for you. The New York Times page from your birthday. And it's as a jigsaw puzzle. Pretty cool. I just thought it was a neat idea. Yeah, except it doesn't load for me. Hmm. Damn. Oh, well. None for me. None for me. Again, Parler cannot switch to an app-based version. <laughs> At the library. I finally called Laundry Files bankruptcy and gave up on it. Yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> I just wasn't getting anywhere in it, and I was, it felt like torture. So I will. Uh, I might be done with Laundry Files. I will return if they return Bob and the other main characters and all of that sort of stuff. But otherwise, yep. nope, I think I'm done. I did move on to a recommendation from some of the people in our Discord channel, uh, The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. I'm about uh, a third of the way in. It's incredibly well written. It's it's very, very good. I don't know how any of you that have ever read this have ever slept ever again. <laughs> but it's fiction, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too close? Yeah. To- <laughs> it's, a, it's a little too close for comfort. 
Okay. Well, speaking of too close for comfort, I've been reading The Stand. Yeah. <laughs> which is also pretty too close for comfort. Uh, I, I'm into book two now. So uh, people are coming together at the at this point in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. This thing is just... Uh, I had to stop because I can't. I I've been making the mistake of listening to it before I go to bed at night. Oh, not a good idea. Bad idea. Really fucking bad idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> wondering why I'm like uh, my my CBD feels subscription has been getting renewed a little bit more than than before because <laughs> I have to like take a big hit every morning just to stay on 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 track. Very well written. Liking it a lot. Liking it a lot. I don't it's... think I'm going to go watch the TV series when I'm done with it though because why. <laughs> uh, I, I think you know? you'll wait a while. Like if the stand becomes one of those books to you, like it did to me, where you just you think about it a lot and you realize just how good it was, you'll eventually want to see the miniseries. Okay. Eventually, not anytime soon, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's so vivid and everything right now. I just feel like if I started to watch that, then it would just kind of. I don't want the abridged version. That's why I got the super yeah. deluxe unabridged with extra shit version, and I'm, I'm liking <laughs> it a lot. Right. And uh, I found this one article and we were talking a little bit earlier about you found an article where the writer was just hilarious and it was some of the best writing you'd had read. And it's just really, really funny. This article is way up there. (laughs) Uh, The author here decided to review a book that was self-published on Amazon because Amazon allows self-publishing now. And this is a masterclass on why we need gatekeepers in all media and in particular publishing. (laughs) Oh, no. If we had had gatekeepers, we wouldn't get gems like this. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, this this was this article was so fun to read and it almost made me want to read the book almost almost yeah uh, i will just read the title of this article the link is in our show notes i highly recommend reading the article in full my antifa lover is one of the worst <laughs> romance novels i've ever read but it does manage one stunning feat and i will let you discover what that stunning feat is on your own yes it's a pretty good article pretty good article but yeah man if we had gatekeepers well we this podcast wouldn't be here that's true too that's true too Security? Ha! We're joined again this week by Dave Bittner. Dave is the host of the Cyberwire podcast. Dave is also the co-host of the social engineering podcast Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan, as well as the co-host of Caveat with COVID-free Ben Yellen, who will be joining us today. <laughs> Hi, Ben. How are you guys? I hear I heard you had the plague. I, I got the plague. I was in the hospital for three days, Oof. which was rough. But now I'm like probably immune for a few months, so I can go crazy. <laughs> I can do podcasts in person if I wanted to. <laughs> right. I'm going to send you to the store to do all my shopping. <laughs> I know. I can tell people like if, you know, you need someone who was, can expose themselves in a grocery store, not literally. God, that's, <laughs> I was going to say, hey, you might want to yeah, yeah, rephrase that. Yeah. Jason, you got there, busted for that once, didn't you? It's still, <laughs> still a restraining hey, order about hey, that, hey. isn't there? He's, he's yeah, not allowed in uh, any Whole Foods on the... Uh... Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. allegedly. Yeah, right. East of the Mississippi, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm back and better than ever. Rearing to go. Good to hear. Oh, good. Uh, before we get going, we have some very important news. Uh, there's, there's nothing more important that we could possibly talk about as we follow the travails of Dave and his inability to unplug his time machine when updating his system. He lost something very important to himself and was even discussing potentially going to Sweden to get it. Get it. I, I'm here to tell you, Dave, and I know you know already because I saw your Twitter feed, The Muppet Show is coming to Disney Plus in February, all five seasons. Yes, yes. This I am. I. Dave. I am very excited about this. Ben, I know you're a Muppet fan, too. I am. 
In fact, yeah. th- the day I got engaged, we saw the Muppets, uh, the Muppets movie, like the you know the more recent one, not one of the original great ones, but the one with uh, Jason Segel. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, the yeah, mediocre yeah. one that we get as old people. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this, and I don't remember if you were involved in this yet, Jason, or if you had already left the company, but I, I was working for a company a, a long time ago, and we did build one of the very first iterations of the Muppet website. Really? Ooh. Yes. Oh, no. I left when we were working on Barbie. Ah, yes. Well, it was, it was later than that. Uh, so I, I was yeah. one of the lead programmers on the original Muppet website. That is wow. amazing. That's <laughs> very fun. Very cool. Yeah. No, I'm very excited about The Muppet Show. Uh, so folks may know the first three seasons of The Muppet Show have been available on DVD, but seasons four and five have not been available. Like many shows, they run into all sorts of clearance issues because they're all these songs that they used on the show before you had things like streaming rights and all that sort of stuff. So evidently, Disney has ponied up uh, the cash. They're going to show all five seasons. Uh, word on the street is that they've found some really good quality uh, copies of of these shows. These were shot on video, not film, so there's only so much they can do with them. But uh, I'm excited. A lot of these shows I have not seen in a long time. And uh, to me, The Muppet Show is really the pinnacle of... Uh, it's The Muppets at their peak abilities. All right. Well, we will pencil you out for any shows post-February 19th for at least a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So shall we get to the, uh, the question at hand for Mr. Ben Yellen? Since we got Ben Yellen on the horn, yep. might as well. <laughs> Let's eh? do it. That's right. So uh, I'm a, ready for you guys. Uh, a listener wrote in last week and uh, asked us a question, and uh, we kindly said uh, none of us happen to be constitutional lawyers, but we happen to know somebody who is. All right. So right? here it is. Uh, Holly wrote in and said, would you guys kindly have a segment on the show regarding the First and Fifth Amendments? They kind of go together like peas and carrots. What types of speech are protected by the First Amendment and what is not? How is this related to private-owned platforms? Platforms, even if those platforms like big tech are viewed as a monopoly, how those things not protected by the First Amendment are often covered in a company's TOS. As an IT professional and not a lawyer, I'm exhausted just listening to these people, and I know you guys are friends with more than a few lawyers. Maybe we can make pamphlets or an instructional PowerPoint. More on PowerPoints later. Much appreciated. Love the show. All right. Where do I even begin? So first of all, these are great questions. I should note that the First Amendment begins with Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech, freedom of religion, etc. What that means is it's a right uh, that protects you against government action, not against private action. Uh-huh. And I know this because there was always some smart kid in eighth grade civics class, you know, when the, the teacher says something and the kid starts talking back and the teacher says, you can't say that. And the kid says, it's my First Amendment right. And the teacher says, fuck you. No, it's not. Uh, what school did you, you had go a, to? You had, you had a rough teacher. <laughs> oh, he, he was yeah. rough, but that might have been a paraphrase. <laughs> yeah, but not that much of a paraphrase. So that's the, that's the first thing you should know is that it is a right against government action. It protects you from being criminally prosecuted for your speech. So there are some restrictions on speech that are generally acceptable under the First Amendment. Things like time, place, and manner restrictions. I can't go to Dave's house as much as I'd want to with a bullhorn and scream at him at three in the morning. That probably violates some sort of local ordinance. And courts have said that's fine because it has nothing to do with the content of the speech. No matter what I said into that bullhorn, it's illegal because I'm, you know, breaching the peace. What the Supreme Court really disfavors are any sort of content-based restrictions on speech. Basically, anything where they're 
restricting somebody from saying something based on the content of what they're saying. Very rarely will they allow content-based restrictions on speech. Basically, any content-based restriction is subject to what we call strict scrutiny, meaning the government has to have a damn good reason to do it. Is this where the proverbial you can't yell fire in a crowded theater comes in? So, great question. Oh, oh, you teed him up. You teed him up, Brian. You teed him up. That is a slow one over the plate for Ben. Go ahead, Ben. Take a swing, my friend. (laughs) I'm going to swing for the fences here. So everyone always mentions that as, well, you know, you can't say anything dangerous uh, because it would be like yelling fire in a crowded theater. So a couple of things about that. First, I should note that the quote says the Constitution wouldn't protect you from falsely yelling fire in a crowded theater. People always forget about that part. Second, that was in a decision called Shank v. United States uh, during World War I that's been largely disfavored. The justice uh, who wrote the opinion, Oliver Wendell Holmes, reversed himself uh, and said in, in subsequent rulings that he disavowed his previous desire to restrict First Amendment rights. And that case was about political protesters dur- during World War I. And so mm-hmm. that line was used to justify restrictions, speech restrictions on political protesters during World War I and was largely disfavored. And Justice Holmes himself in later decisions said that it's more valuable to protect the market of ideas. So I think that line is invoked too frequently. It does not carry the force of law. It's from a decision that is uh, not, you know, among most constitutional lawyers is not looked fondly uh, upon in history. Now, would you would I go yelling fire in a crowded theater? Probably not. It's both the morally wrong thing to do. But to me, it's not entirely clear, depending on the circumstances, whether it would actually be illegal to yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, I mean, it's, it's great that you wouldn't do it morally. But as we have discovered with the Internet, that uh, there are quite an awful lot of people that don't really give a shit about morality. No, there's not. I mean, whoever Q is obviously doesn't give a shit about morality because, you know, He's caused millions of people to believe in a vast global conspiracy, and people have, you know, committed violent actions on the basis of that belief. So, yeah, there certainly is a moral <laughs> side to restricting speech. Uh, the last thing I'll say on, on the First Amendment is that there are certain categories of speech that fall outside of First Amendment protection entirely. So things like false advertising, certain obscenities, certain types of pornography, Speech that, quote, incites imminent lawless action, and I'll talk about that a little more in a bit. Those are things that (laughs) don't have any First Amendment protection at all. Okay. So in terms of the Internet, can the government restrict what you post on the Internet? Uh, If it falls outside those areas of First Amendment protection, then absolutely. So that's why the government can prosecute you for possession of child pornography, for example. For things like, you know, your internet speech inciting a riot, the bar is incredibly high because the standard, and this comes from a case called Brandenburg v. Ohio, is that your speech has to have the tendency to promote imminent lawless action. And the imminency element here is is absolutely crucial. Will it, like, directly lead to violence? It can't be something where we're all just talking and theoretically discussing what it would be like to overthrow the government. If we're not going to be inspired to literally storm the Capitol, per that conversation, then it still is protected speech. So if I said, you know, theoretically, it would be better for, you know, so-and-so to be assassinated, that is constitutionally protected speech. If there's a mob of people carrying guns uh, and that person that I want to assassinate is in view, you know, then we get into some 
constitutionally squishy territory. What an interesting hypothetical you used about storming the Capitol. Now, what <laughs> if that would ever what happen? If, what, what, what if that actually happened? I know. I, I, I just made that up out of thin air. You know, obviously our democracy is strong enough that thousands of people aren't going to breach the Capitol grounds and storm onto the floor of the House and Senate. Could never happen. So so that's that's the uh, the government side. So what about these platforms uh, restricting speech? Basically, these platforms, it is their full prerogative to moderate content as they see fit. It's their platform. They are private entities. If they want to ban a certain type of speech uh, entirely, then they can ban that that type of speech. Mm -hmm. You know, if I wanted to host a exclusively conservative microblogging website, and I just decided to delete all liberal posts, nothing would prevent me from doing that. That's a perfectly constitutionally acceptable thing to do because it's a private entity. Some people will say, you know, well, yes, they're private entities, but they've become, you know, somewhat of a public forum because we discuss all types of policy matters. The president makes <laughs> personnel announcements on Twitter. It's a public forum. I think that's a, a reasonable argument to have. I, I don't think in terms of the constitutional precedent that it's ever likely that a court would hold Twitter or Facebook to be the type of public forum where the government could regulate speech. Um, you know, people have tried to uh, analogize with other cases where, for example, there was uh, an old town in the deep South in the sixties that was owned by a private company and they tried to put restrictions on speech. And the court held in that case that the private company was standing in uh, as the government. So therefore the First Amendment could be invoked against that private entity. But hmm. that's really, I don't think, applicable to something like Twitter and Facebook. And what people talk about with this whole Section 230 thing is, can Twitter or Facebook be punished or sued for their content moderation decisions? And the way mm -hmm. the law is structured right now, with some exceptions, they are largely immune from these lawsuits. Uh, because we want uh, these organizations to not have to constantly worry about the threat of being sued when they make decisions about uh, content moderation. So I, I hope that sort of answers the question. Shall we move to the fifth? <laughs> fifth, fifth Amendment. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure. The Fifth Amendment has a lot of elements to it, I'm, and I'm not exactly sure which one the listener was referencing. Uh, there are a bunch of Fifth Amendment rights, due process, uh, which applies against the federal government. So... Government cannot take away my life, liberty, or property without some sort of due process. Right. Now, of course, that implies that they can take away my life, liberty, and pro uh, property, just uh, as, you know, there has <laughs> to be some sort of proceeding uh, for them to do that. Civil uh, forfeiture, civil forfeiture, civil forfeiture. Civil yeah, civil asset forfeiture, <laughs> for sure. It, it does say that if they take your property, uh, they must provide you just compensation, which... Yeah, you know, obviously that's that's not what happens with civil asset forfeiture. Right. And, uh, and, and, and the right to tweet is not a God-given right and part of this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now, if I were dictator, it would be, but <laughs> unfortunately that has not happened yet. So we still have to wait a little bit of time for your right to tweet to be incorporated into the Fifth Amendment. There's also, you know, a bunch of other procedural rights. Uh, the one that is invoked mo most frequently is the right against self-incrimination. Uh, so the Fifth Amendment says you can never be compelled to be a witness against yourself in a trial. 
And that not only applies to trials, but it also applies in other public government settings. So that's why you see these congressional hearings. Some CEO gets up there, you know, and he's accused of polluting the, you know, such and such river with his dirty oil. And they ask him about it. And he says, you know, on the advice of counsel, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Luckily, everybody just posts their crimes online now for us to download yeah, exactly. view. So, picture of me storming the Capitol with the metadata, and I'm going to tag all my friends. Oh, and also, I'm wearing a GPS monitor. I am a smart criminal. Yeah. Now, Ben, uh, hasn't the fifth been um, rolled into some conversations about um, passwords and and whether or not you're compelled to share your password and so on? Is that? It's, am I right there? Absolutely. So there's a lot of controversy on this issue on compelled decryption, where the government forces you to either enter in your passcode uh, or, um, you know, do something like uh, use your handprint or facial recognition. It's a very complicated issue, and there has been a split among our circuits on this. It's something that is, is currently unresolved. Generally, the right against self-incrimination only applies to what we call testimonial evidence. So something that's e either uh, written or, or spoken, um, you know, that's where the Fifth Amendment applies. So it wouldn't apply, for example, uh, if, you know, you were forced to be in a police lineup. So that's why there might actually be a distinction in the law between um, facial recognition, unlocking one's iPhone, for example, using Face ID, and compelling somebody to actually type in a passcode, because that's what we say in the legal world, the content of one's mind. Hmm. Um, I have a question yes. on this. Now, if I am setting up my phone with facial recognition and I have trained it to also recognize a hand gesture in front of my face that is not just my face, but I'm throwing like a gang sign hmm. in front of my face that kind of gives it a unique perspective that I also have to know. Now, would that be – is that kind of a loophole that could maybe get me out of something? Well, like, okay, I, I'll stare at it all you want, but I'm not going to do the secret bro handshake to unlock the phone. So a, a couple of things there. That might you know, help because conceivably then you would have to be forced to reveal the contents of your own mind being, you know, what's the symbol I throw up to unlock my phone? <laughs> there is mm -hmm. this doctrine, however, unfortunately for you in this scenario, about inevitable discovery – that law enforcement can be can get kind of a get out of jail free card to get somebody's information if you know it was inevitable that they discover it in the first place. So if law enforcement can prove pretty definitively in court that whatever incriminating information they're looking for is on your device and that you know how to get into your device, courts have ruled that you know because it's inevitable that that information uh, would be discovered or divulged. Uh, you know, we're not actually going to make law enforcement go through that whole process for for Fifth Amendment purposes. Um, that seems like a Schrodinger's cat situation, though. It's like, OK, we know it's on there, but we can't get to it. But if we know it's on there, what is it? And how do we prove that it's on there if we can't get to it in the first place? Oh, it seems very much as the is the cat alive or dead scenario. It is. Or and well, who's that artist? Escher in Escher painting with mm -hmm. the stairs mm, that yeah. go nowhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um that's kind of how I feel about it. I've never understood uh, the reasoning behind this doctrine. It does not make sense to me. I think it's one of those things where there's been a carve out for, for law enforcement because 
you know, judges are just as eager as prosecutors in many circumstances to find incriminating information on somebody's phone. Shocking. I know. Shocking. <laughs> you think they'd all be, you know, strict privacy advocates. That's certainly a doctrine I don't agree with. Unfortunately, I'm the bearer of bad news on, on what the doctrine is. Well, I hope Holly is uh, satisfied with your answers there, Ben. And I think we have a new show coming called Let Me Splain with Ben Yellen. <laughs> Legal splaining. <Yeah. laughs> Legal splaining. Or Ben Yellen fire in a crowded theater. Yep. I will get on my fire in a crowded theater soapbox. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I had one story I wanted to put in here that kind of ties into what we were talking about, specifically the Capitol riot. And I, I know this is ongoing and this is just where it was at late last night. Uh, a Capitol rioter allegedly planned to sell a laptop from Nancy Pelosi's office to Russia. So she supposedly got in there. The FBI is now investigating this. The claim came from a former romantic partner of Pennsylvania woman Riley Williams, who we do know was there, did go into the building and has been charged with disorderly conduct and entering a Restricted building, according to court documents, William's supposed ex, which who is now identified as W1, contacted an FBI tip line and said she intended to send the laptop to a friend in Russia, who then planned to sell the device to SVR, Russia's foreign intelligence service. Uh, W1 claimed to have seen footage of Williams taking the laptop. However, W1 said the plot fell through and that Williams either still has the computer or has destroyed it. Now, they have confirmed that a laptop was stolen from a conference room at the Capitol. However, they say they're saying it was only used for presentations. That made me look up what was Russian for PowerPoint. Silovaya <laughs> Ustanovka. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. And uh, she has been uh, taken into custody, by the way. I believe she, yeah. I believe she turned herself in. Yeah. 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 Was this a plot point in My Antifa Lover, the book we talked about on At the Library? I think it might have been. So, I'd like you guys to write some fan fiction on this. <laughs> I will say I did see a tweet from someone that got like 400,000 likes. Uh, that was basically like, uh, this is my ex-girlfriend from middle school. And she stole a laptop from Nancy Pelosi's office and tried to sell it to the Russians. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is pretty crazy. It's so. pretty crazy. So Ben, uh, I have one more question for you because I think we feel I feel like we kind of skipped over this, and and I know this is probably a question that some of our listeners want to follow up on. So I'm going to be the bad guy and do that, or the good <laughs> guy, depending on your point of view. So we talked about uh, types of speech and whether or not you are directly inciting people to do things. What is your take on whether or not President Trump, in the speech that he made before the Capitol riot? as to what the legal point of view would be, the case that could be made or not, as to whether he was actually inciting people to do what they then did. I think his conduct, unfortunately, because I think it's morally abhorrent, doesn't quite meet the legal standard Damn. of uh, causing imminent lawless action. What about Giuliani? <sighs> Giuliani, to me, comes closer. Uh, because what he said is, we need to have trial by combat, if that's not an explicit call to violence, I don't know what is. Now, the problem <laughs> is that it, it, it's, it was still largely theoretical, and neither Trump nor Giuliani, you know, were in the Capitol standing next to people with guns, right? You know, hmm. there still was a little bit of distance between that rally and the storming of the Capitol. And I think that distance is what's going to save uh, Trump and Giuliani from prosecution in this case. It's possible they could be Luckily, there's many, things. many things yeah, that we exactly. can prosecute them for. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but even though Trump said, 
we're going to walk to the Capitol. I'm going to walk with you. You know, bridging that distance gap, kind of saying, yeah, yeah, we're here right now, but let's go. We're going to take a walk, guys. Yeah. You know, so what I always go back to is what Michael Cohen, Trump's former fixer, said at a hearing a couple of years ago, that Trump is basically a mob guy. I mean, he's he's lived his life basically as as somebody who's part of the mafia and he knows how to use language you know, that comes just short of the line of meeting a, some sort of legal standard. Right. So you'll notice that Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives during the impeachment debate kept referencing the fact that he said, we're going to go to the Capitol peacefully, you know, which is a total wink and nod to his supporters who are, <laughs> if not literally carrying pitchforks, are certainly figuratively uh, carrying pitchforks. Mm -hmm. And it's coming in the context of telling them for two months that this election has been stolen, there was fraud, this, you know, we're about to affirm the results of an election that wasn't fair. Uh, so, you know, in that context, of course, you can understand it in the real world, why people were inspired to commit violent acts. I mean, if you legitimately thought that your government was going to be overthrown by someone who was, you know, fraudulently elected president, you might resort to violence. And so, you know, the fact that he propagated that lie certainly makes him morally culpable. And I know that's not what people want to hear because they want to see him behind bars. I just think because there is that separation between when the speech happened and, you know, the fact that there was at least an opportunity for cooler heads to prevail while the, you know, this throng of individuals walked towards the United States Capitol. Um, I think that probably releases Trump from criminal liability on that question. Hmm. All right. That's what I was looking for. Disappointed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him on something. Maybe, I mean, maybe not. And I'm, when we do, we'll have Ben Yellen back on and tell us why. Explain us why. That's right. I will read that criminal complaint 10 times, you know, as soon as it's released, just out of schadenfreude. <laughs> and by the way, might I just add that if this is the sort of conversation you enjoy, you should check out Caveat, uh, the show co-hosted co by me and Ben Yellen, a part of the CyberWire network. Yes. <laughs> we, this is what we do every week. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, it's more of a PG uh, version of, of this podcast. So. We, we bring out the worst in everyone. That's you cool. sure do. That's right. So, yeah. Right. I'm not allowed to That's throw right. F-bombs on that podcast, which is why I love coming on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gentlemen, until the next <laughs> until the next time. Uh, until the next insurrection. Yeah, exactly. Always good go. chatting with you guys. Feedback loop. Over at Patreon, we've got Vernon MCC, Manuel, and Rafal. And over at PayPal, we've got Linda, Natalie, Andrew, Logan, Michael, Raj, Nathaniel, Michelle, John, Andrew, and Al. Unless that's AI and it's spelled wrong. I can't tell. <laughs> it's ML, machine learning. <laughs> it's ML, yeah. <laughs> we, we got a PayPal uh, donation that doesn't exist from AI. <laughs> Oh, thanks you all so much. Over at Twitter, DST writes in, not something you see every day. And this is from Ars Technica. Samsung's top executive gets 30 months in prison for bribery. It's back to jail for Samsung's leader, Lee Jae-yong, also aka Jay Wiley. 
So this is a pretty crazy story. I, I don't think I knew too much about this. It's been a legal battle for something called Choigate, a, a major 2016 South Korean political scandal that led to South Korean President Park Geun-hee being impeached and removed from office. Uh, it's named after the president's top aide, Choi Soon-sil, a member of a shamanistic cult that was found to be masturbating South Korean government policy via her influence over the president. You know, we covered this when it first broke back in 2016, mm. but uh, I, I guess we missed the whole shamanistic cult, cult <laughs> like crazy chick. Yeah, yeah. pretty crazy story. Uh, but, uh, you know, good. Justice is being served. As I'll, go, I'll go search out the podcast that's all about that. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. There sure. has to be one right now. Of course. In Mod 6502 writes in another reason to keep looking for an alternative. And this is Goodreads plans to retire API access disables existing API keys. If a book falls in a forest, does anybody hear it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's Goodreads. Who cares? Yes, uh, news that surprises nobody. They quietly announced the depreciation of their public APIs uh, by quietly. They basically just shut them off immediately without warning. Yes, but and it's not many people noticed. <laughs> yes, and it's deprecation, not depreciation. Oh, I, sorry, deprecation. I, used to, I, I made that mistake to a lot of uh, uh, computer science kids, and they would always mock me. So I'm not mocking yes. you. I'm just informing you so we don't get the emails. So oh, keep the emails no. at home. <laughs> Mockery is the sincerest form of informing. Yes. And Stricky sent a link over to TikTok, thus causing me to actually look at a TikTok video for the very first time ever. Uh, clever. Funny. Yeah, it was the Animaniacs one. If you yeah, the Animaniacs about the Capitol riot, yeah. Yes, and disgruntled Cincy Sports Van writes in, never understood why everyone uses Venmo set to public. Not even sure why the public stream exists. So we can all see that Mary paid Lisa for this month's share of rent. Yippee! <laughs> Agreed. And Craig writes in, as the podcast has taught me, if it's locked into an app like Spotify, Audible, or SiriusXM streaming platform, it's not a podcast. And this is a press release from SiriusXM, who are saying they are the new destination for original, exclusive, and popular podcasts. No, you're fucking not. You added a bunch of radio programs. <laughs> That's and what if, you do. <laughs> yes, and if it's exclusive, it's not a podcast. Yes, so it it's just a whole bunch of crap. And actually, this was a very good reminder that I need to be uh, to ensure that I go and cancel my auto-renew on Sirius. So thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. Sirius. <laughs> Man, they're just too much money. Yep. And over at GOG.show, we got Bearded and Balding, who says, Guys, I love the podcast, along with the Smashing Security, Hacking Humans, and the Tech Guy podcasts. All very entertaining. I realized in a recent episode that you are SW fans. That would be Star Wars. I would like to send you a picture of the four Phantom Menace pictures I finally got framed after 20 years. I've sent the image over, blah, blah, blah. We got the image. Hope you like them. Just don't make it public or tell Disney. Well, we just made it public, but we're not going to share the photos. Did you get a ch uh, chance to look at them? Uh, I did not because by the time I clicked on the link, they had been removed. Oh, okay. Well, too so, late. They're very cool. They were very okay. cool. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for sending those in, Colin. I'm Thank sorry. You. Bearded and balding. And Armchair Rambo writes in. Uh, I'm going to try to get through this parsing here. Hey, guys, I don't remember how much for a biz shout out, but sent you $10 PayPal. Thanks for talking about Brave Browser. I'm using it and observing carefully. Keep it up and this could turn into something beautiful. My biz I'm trying to pimp is Rocket Surgery Studio in, I'm assuming that's Minneapolis. Yes. I have a basement studio. You guys aren't invited either. You work on site and remote now. Used to go to Harvard. You go to online school now. Your opinions are among the few a person can take at face value. Now that's valuable. P.S. You're allowed to be wrong. Love it when you backpedal and tell a story of pure fuckery, cautionary tales from the laboratory. Thanks, Rambo. Okay. All right. Well, we will have link, a link to his to, uh, rocket yep. surgery studio is in the show notes. 
Yes, it is. Vincent writes in. Oh, my God, Vincent. <laughs> Gee, Jiminy Jeepers. Okay, we've got a few links from Vincent here. WhatsApp clarifies Facebook data sharing as users flock to rival Signal. Okay. Oh, man, I, I, have a, I have a link somewhere that I have to put in here about how Signal is basically a tool of the CIA. Really good. <laughs> okay. I got I to gotta make a note of that. You guys can go, go read that on your own, but it's like, wow. <laughs> uh, it, I found this um, from an actual source that uh, I kind of trust. He's like, yeah, this guy did all the research and found out it was uh, that Signal was actually funded by a spinoff of the CIA. All so, right. Tinfoil hat time. <laughs> or Vin you just keep text messaging people like i do yes and vincent goes on to say i've always assumed anything on whatsapp was being shared to facebook anyways has uncle auntie and elder from your various extended circles moved to signal nope not on mine i've gotten five notifications notifications from signal today that one of my contacts is now on signal welcome to the world of tomorrow should be the automated message from me per notification okay uh, to follow up on my last email about people leaving WhatsApp to go to Signal, they can't handle it. And this is, uh, yes, Signal has been down because it was... Uh, scalability is a bitch. Scalability is a bitch. And uh, I sent a link to the donating thing over at Signal, which the other article that I said, don't donate. They've got enough money in the bank from the government. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save my money for GOG.show slash donate because fuck it. I assume anything I type is open season anyway. And hi, if you're reading this, you have just won the Spanish lottery. Kidding. And uh, Dave's fuckity fuck outburst was the funniest thing I've heard in Yonks. Do they use Yonks to mean a long time over there across the pond? No. 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 And he sent us the link to the Urban Dictionary definition of Yonks. <laughs> okay. Come on, Vincent. Please. <laughs> I guess this would work for people who have moderators and knights in shining armor to shield them from troll baddies. Tracy Chu launched Block Party to combat online harassment and abuse. This is a link over at TechCrunch. What you think? I think my friend. <laughs> I think that's a slow, lot that you sent slow us. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. <laughs> good stuff. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Uh, John writes in, just catching up with episodes over here in the UK while enduring lockdown again. Agreed on a massive hunt. Not funny anymore. They even comment in the show about how they jumped the shark years ago. I must have been asleep when they made that joke because <laughs> yeah. I fell asleep watching the damn show. Yeah. Uh, Discovery is on UK Netflix, so you can use VPN to view it and therefore drop your CBS All Access subscription. Um, yeah, but do they have Picard and do they have uh, The Stand? Because there you yeah, go. just just power through until The Stand's over and yep, exactly. Wait till That's Picard, Picard away. comes back, and then when you come back, it'll be Paramount Plus. Yeah, the fuck they're gonna call it. It'll then they'll change it again later. Whatever. Highlander writes in, do you remember the over-the-air television from the 1960s? Did you know it still exists? The point being, if you are going to be fed a bunch of crap from both the mainstream media and social media companies, you may as well not pay for it. Take back your life. Unsubscribe. All right. I'm, I guess I could get CBS over the air, but I wouldn't get Discovery, Picard, or The Stand because those are digital-only exclusives. Yep. But you can, <laughs> buy, you can buy an antenna and watch regular TV. I did that when I lived in Chicago. We talked about yep. that on the show a couple times. And Dan yeah. writes in, hi, Grumps, on episode 491. You mentioned Henry Rollins in the film in the 90s. I haven't seen that, but did want to recommend one that he did this past decade. Check out He Never Died. It's an interesting film that may only appeal to a small number of viewers, such as Henry Rollins, but I think it's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Hank is perfectly cast as a tough guy who doesn't enjoy being around other people. Okay, so he plays himself. 
Yes, he does. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he has a dark paranormal quality that makes for what I consider a satisfying twist at the end of the film. Give it 10 minutes and see if you feel compelled to finish. By the way, fuck all Republicans in the House except for the 10 that voted to impeach. They are spineless cowards. All right, okay. Dan. <laughs> Barrett writes in, call me crazy, but I picture the traders more as Motel 6 type of people than Airbnb type of people. And this is a link that uh, over to BuzzFeed that Airbnb has canceled all reservations in D.C. during the inauguration. And I think they just live in their RVs until they blow themselves up, personally. But we'll see <laughs> I how wish they'd goes. hurry up with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. And over at iTunes, we got a five-star rating from Dave Fur Trooper Bittner. I do not believe this is the real Dave Bittner, but... He does give it a go to recreate Dave's rant without actually spelling out the fuck word. It was quite impressive. Yes. So, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Good job. If you want your question or comment read on the show, head over to GOG.show slash contact and send us your feedback or questions that we can read on the air. And if you're so inclined, please head over to GOG.show slash review and toss us a five star and snarky review. We're, we're still, come on, guys. A little few more reviews. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. It's New Year. Get on it. Yep. Well, I don't know what to say about this one. I like this headline, though. Phil Spector transformed pop music and destroyed lives. Yeah, and all sums got, it up. He died. And uh, I just say, welcome to Club Michael Jackson, another musical genius I will probably never seek out to listen to. And I'll always feel icky when I listen to anything they were involved in if I'm in a grocery store or whatever. Yep. <laughs> and somebody that did pass away from the music world that doesn't make me feel icky, Sylvain Sylvain, rest in peace. He was the New York Dolls guitarist. Uh, New York Doll Dolls are one of those bands that you probably haven't listened to, but every band you like did. Yep. No, they were fantastic. <laughs> yep. Until next time, I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. This show is a labor of love, but your support keeps the show going. If you like the show, visit GOG.show slash donate to help us out. It's better going to us than Signal. We'll love you forever. The CIA doesn't love us. They don't fund us. Or visit GOG.show slash shop and pick us some good old-fashioned GOG swag. If you can't do that, please pass the show along to a friend. Word of mouth is the only way the show grows, so... God damn it. Spread the grump far and wide. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash 492. From there, you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, donate to the show, buy our swag, and get links to stuff we like. And do check out our new merch swag. There's only been one purchase so far. Stay grumpy. <laughs>